0: Man, looking at the headlines sometimes, I mean, how do you cope with it all?
1: Yeah, just trying to deal with the damage that comes from the worst things people do can seem overwhelming, let alone even asking something like, could you ever forgive them?
0: And, and would you want to forgive them? Is forgiveness even appropriate sometimes?
1: I don't know if I could forgive them, but maybe
0: God could. Now, wait a second. That brings up an interesting dynamic because why could God forgive and not us? Is that implying that forgiveness is the right thing always, something we should strive toward, and the only reason we fall short is that we lack the resources that
1: God has. Well, and does God always forgive? I know that a lot of people spend their lives thinking that God is furious at them. So is God's forgiveness triggered only when we apologize, or does God just need some time to pass so he can cool down? I feel like we're having two conversations here, one about God and one about us. And what I wanna know is, are those two linked? Plus, if forgiveness is something that you can apply to both us and a divine omnipotent being, I'm not even sure if I'm clear on the basics. What is forgiveness? Yeah, looks like we got our work cut out for
0: us. But between a story of forgiveness from a Holocaust survivor, a direct report of God's total lack of anger, and the impact of forgiving on our spirits, I think we're going to make some progress. Stay tuned. Hey everybody! Welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg in Life. I'm sure we're going to talk about some fun stuff today. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'll be your host. And I have with me, as always, Swedenborg scholar Dr. Jonathan Rose. Jonathan, hey, Curtis! How thanks are you doing? so much
1: for coming. Sorry, I missed the planning meeting. What are we talking about today?
0: Yeah, I actually missed that meeting too. So, oh, okay.
1: but I, I don't really care because I,
0: I'm really more excited to tell you about my new artistic venture. Oh. So what I'm doing is I call this game art, and what I do is take a board game or, or things that we play all the time, and I turn them into statements about society and about life. And this oh, one okay. is called. The impermanence of royalty.
1: The impermanence of royalty. And I got it's the idea for this, million, actually, first million, million, when I was... Out of- oh, I'm so sorry. What, sorry what did you do that. that for? Well, I wasn't being... I didn't deliberately do it. I, I, I just wasn't being as careful as I should have been. And uh, I can help you put it back together, but uh, can you forgive me? Why should I forgive you? Well, I might not be the right person for you to hear this from, but actually, psychologically, it can help you to forgive others... Really? Like, it can help me? Prove it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, here's a video clip. Check this out.
2: Recent research in psychology has focused on the beneficial effects of forgiveness, especially looking at the elderly. Toward the end of their lives, they're asked such questions as, have you been able to forgive others who have harmed you? Or, what was it like for you to consider forgiving someone else? Or, If you have forgiven, how do you feel in your body, in your mind, and how does that sense of forgiveness affect your quality of life? And what's been found is actually that individuals who have even begun to self-reflect and to consider forgiving those that have harmed them or perhaps engaged in some transgressions experience an overall better quality of life, which leads to feeling happier, which can also influence longevity of life. So what we're seeing, although this research is very new, is a correlation between even considering forgiveness and that consideration and further being able to forgive, leading to an overall better quality of life and sense of health and happiness.
0: Wow, that sounds good. I mean, it sounds like a really good deal. Why doesn't everyone just always forgive all the time?
1: Right. Well, it may have to do with some common misconceptions about forgiveness.
0: Yeah, I do feel like people have a lot of errors in the way that we, we think about what forgiveness is. We actually took the time to summarize and boil it down into what we're calling five common misconceptions oh. around forgiveness. Well, that's we put lucky. Them down as this right. One, forgiveness means you have to forget what happened. Mm. Like, you're just moving on without it. Two, forgiveness means that there's no justice. You're just dismissing harmful behavior. You know, like, if if Jonathan knocked this over, he's never going to pay the price for it. Mm. Three, forgiveness means you can't grieve and process a painful experience, that I just have to pretend everything's all right. Four, forgiveness can't happen unless the other person apologizes. And then five, that it's, don't be weak. You know, forgiveness is weakness.
1: But all those things are true, aren't they? Like, how is that not not true? Well,
0: it might seem like it, except for the truth of it has to do with the actual definition of forgiveness and the metaphysical matrix that supports the phenomenon of forgiving. Oh, oh. is
1: that all? Okay. Yeah, that's all. Well, I think we better look into this further.
0: I think so. We're going to do it, starting in part one. So we want to get to our spiritual definition of forgiveness and how to use it and look at the underpinnings and what it means for us and for life and for reality, but I think we have to ground ourselves first by looking at a really concrete example of forgiveness and how we as people do it here in this world that we're living in. So smaller hurts, like let's say somebody knocks over your checkers art or something like that, those can be forgiven relatively easily, but serious hurts need a bigger process in order to try to remedy them. And we're going to look at a really serious hurt here, which is the perspective of someone who survived the Holocaust. So uh, we were actually able to have Chris Dunn, who works with us. He answers a lot of your comments on YouTube. He got to go and learn from Eva Moses Kor, uh who survived the Holocaust. She was in Auschwitz, and he was really moved by her story of how she came to find forgiveness in, in such a, an intense dire situation. So here's a little bit of Chris's experience learning from Eva about
3: how she was able to forgive. So I had this pretty life-changing experience this this summer with my uh, personal hero, Eva Kor. And she's been guiding my life with this idea of transformative forgiveness for about 10 years now. But it really culminated in this summer's trip to the place where she grew up, which is in Auschwitz. And we spent two weeks there learning the context of why her forgiveness was so powerful, what her suffering was like, and from that place of suffering, uh, how she found hope to keep living. Um, Eva was sent with her family to Auschwitz when she was 10 years old. She was a twin. And because of that, uh, Dr. Mengele, one of the more infamous Nazis in the camp, also known as the Angel of Death, uh, took particular interest in her because they had ideas about twins that uh, were really focused on how they can use twins to promote the future growth of the Third Reich and of the Aryan race. Eva was separated from her family that first day from the cattle cart, and she and her twin sister were the only people in her immediate family to survive. They referred to one of the paths that you would get off the cattle cart and onto as the path to heaven, which was essentially where you were sent to get gassed. And all of Eva's family, uh, excluding her and her twin sister, that's where they were sent. So they spent years uh, in incredibly immoral conditions, being experimented on, uh, being radically tortured. And these are little girls, and they're born into this crucible of, of incredible evil. And eventually they were liberated. And Eva went on to spend a huge chunk of her life carrying this massive burden of pain and it got even worse it reached its height when eva's twin sister passed away of all the injections that she had received she had medical complications and they just couldn't save her And so here eva was alone in the world uh holding on to this uh impossible burden and was so enmeshed in her pain uh i had people when on this trip describe a little bit of what Eva was like before she found forgiveness, and she was just uh, angry beyond belief. Someone that just had no, uh, no disposition other than pure, wrathful anger. And it was crippling. And I think a lot of us deal with circumstances where we're hurt, and the pain that we hold on to is crippling. It, it paralyzes us from experiencing more joyful things in life. Um, at least that's what I've experienced with my own pain. And so, when Eva found forgiveness. And it was through a really strange scenario where uh, she was invited to speak on air about her story. Uh, this is a time when denialism was rampant. People were saying that the Holocaust didn't happen. It was pretty horrific stuff. Um, and she crusaded to really tell people her story and what, what it meant to live in that kind of evil. And... Uh, uh, interestingly enough as she told her story uh, a man named Hans Munch was invited to speak with her and he was actually a Nazi doctor an SS doctor in Auschwitz at the time that she was suffering and he lived his life so riddled with uh, with his own pain about what he'd, he had been a part of he regretted everything that he had done um, he was actually one of the guys set up to look into the gas chamber, there was like a little peephole that you could look into and make sure that all the bodies were dead, and you would just see no more movement as gas was being poured down from the ceiling into the into the chamber itself. And when no one else was moving, he would write a single death certificate, and that's what his primary role was. So when Hans Munch, this old guy at the point when uh, Eva was experiencing him, uh, when he did everything that he could to help tell this story and say that this stuff actually happened and I was a part of it, um, in harmony with what Eva was sharing, Eva was was kind of blown away, and she thought, "What do I do to to thank a Nazi for helping me tell this story the real way?" Um, and so she decided, after months of thinking about it, that she would write him a letter a letter of forgiveness. And uh, that letter of forgiveness that she wrote to Hans Munch. Uh, basically set Eva's life up for a completely different trajectory, one which, at this point, her story of forgiveness reaches millions of people a year. It was just shared on BuzzFeed, her, her story. And within four days, she got 150 million views.
0: And if you would want to check out Eva's story, we've got a link for you right here. And, you know, it's interesting enough that you may want to diverge from our pro- production here and, and, and go do that. So uh, th- that's all right with me if you do it if you stayed. We're gonna dig a little farther into it, because Eva not only was able to forgive Dr. Munch, who was expressing some regret at what he had done, or at least being helpful to her in trying to to make some sense of the whole thing, she was also able to forgive Nazis who didn't express any regret.
3: And Chris is gonna describe here just what the impact of that was for her. And what she realized when she forgave that doctor was that she had the ability And no Nazi could take this away from her to transform her pain, to go from a place of incredible burden and move beyond that to a place of wisdom and renewed life. She was, as as she told me a few times in my friendship with her, uh, she went from a a victim of Auschwitz to a survivor of Auschwitz. And that's the woman I know. This is the the mentor that's guided me, uh, particularly in this trip, uh, to Auschwitz this summer. Um, so one of the more applicable or tangible ways in which she forgave, as i as I referred to, was this letter, this bringing out all of the pain that you felt, um, writing it all down, uh, and acknowledging that it exists, and then through that acknowledgement, making peace with that pain. And that's what Eva did with her letter of forgiveness she actually brought us to that very cattle cart that dropped her off when she was 10 years old and in front of that spot wrote a letter of forgiveness to her parents saying, listen you you really hurt me when we didn't escape these Nazis when you were supposed to be my protector and you failed to protect me I held that pain for years and what I'm going to do is make peace with that pain right now through this letter. Uh, that aspect of writing a letter has helped me with my own forgiveness. I had uh, an incredible amount of pain in my own life that I had to process and get through, and it was Eva's story and her steps and tools in handling pain that really uh, allowed me to move past to being a survivor of my own past uh, and not just a victim. So
0: even out of these horrible conditions, there's going to be these amazing perspectives and tools that are not just helping Eva who went through it, but even helping people like Chris now who can learn from her about it. So I just want to honor that side of it, just the, the, the side that's in the world that we all share. Before we even get to our spiritual definition, I think we can kind of be rebuffing some of these misconceptions about forgiveness through Eva's story. So let's take a look back to our misconception number one, which is the idea that, that you have to forget what happened. Well, Eva's still telling the story of what happened. She didn't forget it all. So here's what we could correct it with.
4: Forgiveness means you have to forget what happened. Correction. It's right to remember it. Once the pain and anger are released, the memory becomes part of your wisdom about what should and shouldn't happen in this world. You become someone who can actively stand for something better and who can truly support and help others who go through something similar.
0: And I know we're throwing a a lot of Evo links at you, but this is uh, more about the forgiveness process she wrote uh, in her own blog, and she actually uh, forgave, you know, a Nazi who was on trial, but wasn't about excusing what he had done from a legal standpoint, but there was this angle of forgiveness there. And that gets us right into correction number two, which is that she can have this state of forgiveness in her, but still support legal action against former Nazis. So this is how we would amend Misconception 2.
4: Misconception. Forgiveness invalidates justice. Correction. Pursuing justice can happen right alongside your decision to forgive. If it's appropriate and practical for you to pursue justice, forgiveness can give you more calm and clarity to do so. Any punishment to the perpetrator will not take away your pain unless you forgive. Forgiveness is internal and can free you no matter what the outcome of pursuing outer justice.
0: So as Chris mentioned earlier, he had pain that he had to process. Obviously, Eva had pain she had to process, and neither of them talk about ignoring or pushing that under the rug or eliminating the pain instantly. This is something you have to go through, and I think this is something that people worry about. So we want to correct our our third misconception here, and we're going to offer you this alternative.
4: Misconception. Forgiveness means you can't grieve and process a painful experience. Correction. Forgiveness itself is a process. You may need to address the pain and go through the stages of grief in order to release that pain. The idea is not to avoid grieving a painful experience, but to move through and past the grief process to healing a new life. So we can make a lot of progress just looking at
0: things from the perspective of the world that we all live in and all inhabit, and and just our our human-to-human interactions. But I want to now look at at what's behind some of this. What are the spiritual things, the mechanisms that make this stuff possible? What's behind the curtain for all this? And so if we're going to talk about spiritual stuff, we got to bring back Dr.
1: Jonathan Rose. You flatter me, sir, but (laughs) I do have some thoughts about how uh, Swedenborg's teachings fit in with what we're talking about. Yeah. Like, in that point number one... um, Nothing's ever gone from our spiritual memory, you know? Swedenborg says that everything is being captured in our yeah. inner self, and it's all there. Uh, everything that everything everything happens. By, everything everything that happens. And not only that, everything that we thought, everything that we were feeling, even what other people were doing and thinking yes. and feeling and so on, uh, all of that's captured in some way. Uh, so it isn't about just like, oh, you just erase the board, and you know what I mean. Nothing's erased. Even no.
0: the Swedenborg says, even when you're turning into an angel, even the negative tendencies in you never go completely away. Nothing's gone. No. Which at one all point in my somewhere. life, somewhere, I found that really comforting because I was, I was like, oh, that's nice. I was like, ah, oh, I'm gonna, am I ever gonna think this thing again? It sounds weird, but am I ever gonna feel like, is this gone forever? But no, it's all there, and it all stays. And so, in a positive and in a negative sense, so no, nobody can deny
1: the past, right? Things become can become quiet. Something else becomes more important. Yeah. Uh, but nothing nothing goes away. It's very important for the truth of what happens. It's you know? not
0: like uh, oh, you know the the security c- cameras have erased their footage and rewritten it. Yeah, we'll yeah. never know Every if you were there on they, that day. They
1: loop around again. And it, yeah, that's yeah. right. It's not like that. And I
0: see a lot of t- touch points between Swedenborg's uh, ideology and what we heard in the f- in the first section. The idea of uh, the misconception number two, that there's no justice. Like, oh, I forgive you, so we won't make things right uh, from the legal right. system. Doesn't Swedenborg, isn't it in true Christianity, he says, that you can actually turn someone over to a judge, but from a loving
1: motive. Yeah, there's a loving way to do those things. Yeah. Like, loving and turning someone over are not mutually exclusive they, right. they they really can can go together it's important for the good of the whole it you you can seek someone else's improvement you know if they're in a yeah. bad way or something like that you right. say hey you know maybe this will straighten things out you know
0: yeah it's really more about yeah what you're not just doing it because you want to hurt the person as badly as possible you're thinking about what makes me safe what makes them safe what makes everybody safe that's right i about misconception number three just swedenborg certainly talks about processes needing to be gradual. It's not like you're just going to be able to gloss over something and not deal with the pain side of it. Everything unfolds in spiritual life and physical life in a way that goes step by step. Yeah,
1: I can't think of anything that Swedenborg teaches about that's instantaneous. You know, it's not salvation, not anything else. All these things are sort of growth processes and things like that. Uh, so that's right. It's not going to happen instantly. There's still going to be growth going on about it.
0: So forgiveness is, you know, in this world of processes, and it seems like with how we're beginning to describe it, it's something deeper than what's going on in the external circumstances.
1: Yeah, it really seems like how you're holding it, doesn't it? Yeah. Like within how you hold. Right. The, the, cir- the circumstances are the circumstances, but how you hold it is is something that we have some choice about. So now I'm starting to get cloudy,
0: because we're talking about forgiveness in all these different ways and how to play. Mm. I feel like we need to get back and redefine terms. Like, what is? Can we get to the root and the true mm. meaning of what forgiveness actually is? And where would we even look for something
1: like well, that? Well, it occurs to me that maybe a place to start is with what Swedenborg says about how God forgives us. Oh, yeah, that's a good place. Mm. And we're going to look at that in part two. So there's been a question for people for quite some time about whether God is really, is is he forgiving? Does he forgive or not? Are there certain parameters or you have to meet certain criteria? Maybe he stays mad for a while or whatever. Well, the fact that God is merciful and forgiving. I know there's a lot of contradictions on the surface of a lot of teachings, a lot of different religious traditions. But the traditions say that God is merciful and forgiving. Check this out. Judaism says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. It's a beautiful quote from Isaiah. And then from the Quran despair not of the mercy of God, for God forgives all sins, for he is oft forgiving, most merciful. In other words, he's forgiving all the time. And in Hinduism, you have this, all evil effects of deeds are destroyed when he who is both personal and impersonal is realized. So there's a way out, there's a solution. So the question might be, when does God decide to forgive us Swedenborg actually learned in the course of his spiritual experiences that that's not the right question, that there's a forgiveness that's going on all the time. It's not conditional. Listen to this from New Jerusalem 165. Our sins are, of course, he says, of course, our sins are, of course, constantly being forgiven by the Lord because he is mercy itself. You see, there's something about the divine nature itself that is constantly extending this forgiveness to us. So wait a minute, though. That creates another problem, doesn't it? Like, if I'm forgiven all the time, what, but am I not receiving that? You know, What does that mean? It means it doesn't matter what we do? Listen to this further from New Jerusalem 165. Nevertheless, despite what we may think about how our sins are forgiven— I like that. It doesn't matter what we think the rules are. The rules are actually this. Despite what we may think about how our sins are forgiven, they actually still cling to us and are not put aside from us unless we live by the precepts of true faith. As we live by these precepts, our sins are put aside. And as our sins are put aside, they are forgiven. Now, wait a second. So you're saying there's a difference between the fact that God forgives us And our being forgiven, like God forgives us all the time, but we don't receive that forgiveness until we lay these things aside. Mm. And it's a gradual process going on. Swedenborg actually says that it's impossible for God to be angry. He's never angry. It's impossible for him to even frown. He totally understands us, totally loves us. So this old definition can't be correct. This definition that says that forgiveness equals ceasing from anger, the idea that, oh, well, okay, I've done enough good things now that I finally made up for that thing I did back in 1973. You know, no, no. Uh, It's not like that. It's not about God ceasing to be angry. So what is it exactly? We need some more clarification. Let's have a look at New Jerusalem 166. People believe that when our sins are forgiven, they're washed away or rinsed off the way dirt is rinsed off with water. However, our sins are not washed away They're just put aside. That is, we are held back from doing them. Interesting language there. Held back from doing them. The important thing is, are you doing it or not? We're held back from doing them when we're kept focused by the Lord on doing what is good. Ah, see, our focus is not so much on that or what we did in the past. We're focused on doing good now, and as we're kept on that, then the Lord is able to hold us back from that. And when we're focused on doing good, it seems as though our sins are gone. You know, once we changed our focus, it's, well, not an issue anymore. And therefore, as though they've been washed away. Further, the more we've been reformed, the more capable we are of focusing on doing what is good. If we think that our sins are forgiven in any other way, we are sadly mistaken. Mm, So from what Swedenborg learned there, it's as if there's a new definition. The old definition was forgiveness equals God ceases from his anger against us for the bad thing that we did to something radically different. The forgiveness is God protecting us from doing harm. He's protecting us from continuing to harm others in the way that we were. So the forgiveness is our protection from that. That's an astonishing idea. But you can see the truth of it, can't you, when you look at the fact that God cannot protect us from something that we're hanging on to with both hands. You know, if we love that thing and we're still attached to it, uh, how can he protect us from it? We have to consent to this process, and this is truly actually the process that's known as repentance. We did a whole show about it a little while ago. Uh, That is a process, you'll find more details there, about how to go through that process of repentance. This is really what we're talking about. So God is a blanket forgiveness, but we're just receiving it bit by bit, incrementally, as we turn aside, we're, we're starting to receive that protection. And let's look back at New Jerusalem 165 with this new understanding in mind. Nevertheless, despite what we may think about how our sins are forgiven, they actually still cling to us and are not put aside from us unless we, unless we live by the precepts of true faith. As we live by these precepts, our sins are put aside. And as our sins are put aside, they are forgiven, And for those last three words there, we could substitute, as our sins are put aside, God protects us from doing them anymore. You don't have to do those behaviors anymore. We're actually protected from that. That was a connection with hell, and that connection is being broken, so we're not obeying those impulses in the same way. We're not bringing that into the world in the same way that we were. So it's not a matter of convincing God to stop being angry. It's a matter of letting go of our own desire. It's internal work. Letting go of our own desire to do that harm and letting God protect us from doing it anymore. Check this out. Look at this. So you've got God's love is flowing onto us, flowing, 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 just like the sun shining down day and night. But there we are. We're wrapped up in negativity. We're focused on hell. We haven't let go of it yet. We're still attached to something about it. It still tugs at our heartstrings. There's something that we love about it or are obsessed with in it. And that is a very different thing from when we turn around. Scripture says turn, you know, so you turn toward God's love. Then you're able to receive this protection from that hellish negativity. It might still be there right behind you, but you're in this state that we would call being forgiven because you've actually turned around. And that's why this is so much about us. If you look at the Greek word for forgiveness used in the New Testament, it's aphiemi. And this has two pieces in it. The off means away, and the hiemi means to send. It literally means to let go, to release, you know, to send it away. So that's not—it's like someone who used to be working for you, and then you say, no— You know, you're dismissed. You send it away. We're not forgiven until we can send that thing away. So then the question becomes, how do we let go? Well, one answer is that it's not quickly, you know. Uh, It's not a one-time thing. There's a gradual process of waking up and changing our attitude to these things. But Swedenborg gives us some very useful a guidance on this, just a few little tidbits that he says. But one of the things he says is that it's not actually necessary for us to create the master list, you know, the monster list of all the, you know, we can go through that process, it might be interesting for us, but we don't need to list them all before God. Uh, Because, why not? Well, Swedenborg interestingly says that it's because the consciousness that we brought to that act of making the list—it doesn't mean you shouldn't make a list, but you don't need to for God's sake. You know, Oh, oh I left that one that I was supposed to tell God about. Because that divine consciousness was with us as we were looking at our list and making that list. The Lord already knows that better than we do. So the one thing we don't need to do is kind of, you know, hammer our list before God. Because that act actually brought us together with God as we made the list. We were working on the list together. He, he knows about that already. And uh, begging for forgiveness is also unnecessary, We don't need to just plead and plead and beg and beg pitifully uh, for that forgiveness. Now, why is that? Check out this from True Christianity 539.
5: There are two reasons why we should not beg the Lord to forgive our sins. The first is that sins are not abolished. They are just relocated within us. They are laid aside when after repentance, we stop doing them and start a new life. This is because there are countless yearnings that stick to each evil in a kind of cluster. These cannot be set aside in a moment, but they can be dealt with in stages, as we allow ourselves to be reformed and regenerated. The second reason is that the Lord is mercy itself. Therefore, he forgives the sins of all people. He blames no one for any sin. He says... They do not know what they are doing.
1: So that's a truly beautiful thought right there. So now we've got a process and we know that it's going to be gradual and so on. But how do you know if it's working? If forgiveness is kind of on our end... How do we know if it's working or not? Well, Swedenborg's got us covered there again, because he tells us certain signs that as we look into ourselves, into our minds and our hearts, we do a little of that self-examination, there are indications of whether it's working or not. This is kind of cool. Let's start with the before picture. This is like, it's not working, okay? This is New Jerusalem 167. So, how do we know if we're being forgiven or not? Well, some signs that our sins have not been forgiven, that is, put aside, or with our substitute understanding here, we could say some signs that we're not yet protected from sinning are the following We worship God, but not for God's sake. We help our neighbor. But not for our neighbor's sake, which means that we do not do good for its own sake or speak truth for its own sake, but for self-serving and worldly reasons. We want credit for what we do. We do not find evils like enmity, hatred, vindictiveness, and adultery at all distasteful Mm. and entertain these evils in our thoughts with a complete lack of restraint— So now we all, you know, suffer for those things in various different ways, but if we look in ourselves and we realize, wow, I don't mind thinking about this at all, like I think that's just cool, that's a sign that we're not there yet. So even though we may think, oh, well, it's pretty good, I'm worshiping God, I'm, you know, helping my neighbor and so on, yeah, but why are you doing those things when you really realize, oh, I'm looking for credit 24-7, I'm never not looking for credit, you know, no, we don't have that forgiveness yet. And so... And why we're not protected is that we still have not been willing to let go. We haven't sent that away. We haven't released it yet. It's a gradual process. And so don't beat yourself up too much if this is not, you know, if this is still pretty much echoes where you are because it's a gradual process. But over time as you do this, you will notice improvement. You're probably already seeing some improvement in yourself and you'll see that improvement coming more and more and more. And now let's hear the beautiful signs that come when we are forgiven. This is again New Jerusalem 167.
5: Some signs that our sins have been forgiven, that is put aside, are the following. We sense a pleasure in worshiping God for God's sake and in helping our neighbor for our neighbor's sake, which means in doing good for its own sake and in speaking truth for its own sake. We do not want credit for our caring or our faith. We reject and turn our backs on evils like enmity, hatred, vindictiveness, adultery, and even the very thoughts that go along with intentions in such directions.
1: So we may not get all that in the first half hour that we try doing this work. It's quite a laundry list there. There's a lot of exciting things that, that we can come into. But it's so important to get started, and we will see improvement as we go.
0: That sounds like a pretty wonderful way to live life. Mm. And I could see how that could cause for people some anxiety. Like, is the stuff I've done going to keep me from being able to participate in that life? So I think it's important to assert here that it seems like from the divine perspective, it's not about our past actions. Like, we've built up sort of a rap sheet that, no, God can't hire us anymore. But it's how we choose to live right now and from now on.
1: It, it's really blown my mind when I've been, been doing the editorial work on Swedenborg's works to see that he really... it It's not so much about what you did. I mean, that is a thing, and it's yeah. there, and it happened. Uh, but I think hell wants you to think that you'll never get that stain out. You know what I mean? Like, you yes. did it, and it wants to just ride that. Like, that's permanent. That's who you are. That defines who you are. You know, hell wants to sort of yeah. really... In, incorporate that into our self definition or something like that.
0: They, they would say, like, even though we've moved on, we're in like the third little banter section between you. Still remember you knocked over this, this art project. It's still with that's me. It's still who you are. that's what they want to say. That's what they want to say. That's right. Say. And, and, that's and right. With with s- things that are actually serious, that can be a big deal. People think I right. can never be anything but defined by whatever happened.
1: Yeah, and and yet what what I hear Swedenborg saying is that. It's so much more about how you hold that after the fact. Yeah. How do I feel about? It? Do I justify myself? Like, well, the thing was not straight. You know, I mean, it needed <laughs> fixing. a stupid you know? art project <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, or some other justification, yes. or like I go into sort of anger at you, or so, you know something. That's right. Uh, as opposed to no, I feel bad about that, and yeah. and even if you felt fine about it, something at the time. You know, years later, you may feel like, you know, I regret that now. That's and right. that's a very important
0: element. And I find it often introduces into you the opposite, like a strength in the opposite. That if I really, um, let's say I put myself in the position of someone like you who had done something like this. Yes, this I, bad. I, and and I say, ah, you know, I really feel bad about that. And now I have like a newfound sense of like, wait, what what people... Uh, care about and make that's important and we need to make sure that we have boundaries like that you kind of build up this newfound sense of the preciousness of the thing because of the mistakes you made that's interesting and it's
1: making me think of the woman caught in adultery in the new testament yeah where she's caught in the act you know yeah and uh pharisees uh, are all saying yeah this is it man she's caught in the act you know if you're not going to Deal with this when when do you you know when does justice happen? yeah and and Jesus's attitude is that oh no, this is an opportunity to work with this person, but you notice his message is uh, don't do it again. Yeah. Like, it's an opportunity to to separate her from the behavior. Yeah. And that's more important to him, the future story. That's right. You know what I mean? Not Okay, you did that. Okay, fine. Yeah. And we had this whole thing, everybody's all mad at you and everything. But the fact is, uh, maybe we can start over again, and that's where the forgiveness starts to kick in.
0: Go and sin no
1: more. That's right. It's it's
0: this future-looking, because there's always a future there. I think that's
1: cool. But do you have to earn that? Is that like... Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So we've, we've learned that God's state of forgiving is constant, Mm. right? So, that's God, we're us, so how can that inform our own decisions and about forgiving others? Well, that's a rhetorical question, because I'm going to answer it myself in part three. I want to begin section three by calling your attention to maybe one of the most often recited pieces of text in human history, part of the, uh, you know, of course, part of the Christian prayer. Matthew 6, 12, it says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. This and this passage directly about forgiveness and forgiveness that is asking God to forgive us as we forgive other people. So it's not only putting them next to each other, it's like we're trying to emulate God's forgiveness with our forgiveness. So the two are linked somehow. So it seems like we're called to mirror God's forgiveness. And it's a big task, right? What is God's forgiveness, as we've been learning, is that it's the divine state of mind. It's the truth. It's a freedom from everything that is a dead-end emotion. This, this desire for revenge, blame, the stuff that comes out of hell. Because heaven can deal with problems, but it does so in a way that at least has some love for whoever you're directing your action toward So we're trying to get there. We're trying to get our mind to sync up to this divine perspective on forgiveness. And that might seem to go from human to divine like a lot of effort. So why would you even want to try in the first place? Well, how about like the path to happiness and heavenly happiness? This is a quote that's attributed to the Buddha. He says, holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. You are the one who gets burned. And we actually did a 10-question show where we have you guys write in questions, and somebody had asked about forgiveness, and we're gonna bring back our buddy Chris, because he answered this question, and I think he said it well. Uh, He's he's describing here the effects that holding on to hatred, revenge, everything that's anti-forgiveness, actually have on the person who's
3: having them. When we don't forgive, say someone hurts us, and we experience this singular moment of pain, we actually can create an ecosystem inside of ourselves that allows that pain to flourish and show up in many ways, whether it's anger or contempt, hatred, vengeance. And if you notice all of those variables, they're actually characteristics of hell. They're, they're the ideas that keep us shackled and, uh, and tormented uh, in the natural world. And they actually create a prison for us unless we release that unless we buy into the system of love that the Lord is constantly seeking for us to enter into. And we do that by forgiveness. Forgiveness has less to do with the person that hurt you, and it has actually everything to do with your ability and your free choice to find healing, to live a life aligned with that love and forgiveness flowing down from the Lord, constantly wanting to enter into relationship with you.
0: So before we even get to the other person in the equation, we're trying to show you that forgiving, pursuing this forgiveness, this aligning with the divine mindset, is good for you. And if you won't take the Buddha's word for it, and you won't take Chris's word, what about the actual experience of people in the afterlife? This is from Swedenborg's Spiritual Experiences 2909, and he says, This I know, that acquaintances, whether associates or friends or those they worship, find each other in the other life. So let people beware of hatred, revenge, envy, lies, adoration, and the like. For these things in the other life sometimes miserably annoy them." What he's saying here is even good beware of attachment, that if you're harboring something about another person, that's not just going to go away when we pass into the next world. Swedenborg saw many times people who had had these long-standing resentments toward each other, even people who had hated Swedenborg. During his life, when they got into the spirit, they still hated Swedenborg. They still hated each other. Uh, so you just because you think, oh, I can just kind of cultivate this this resentment towards this person, that's going to show up as a tangible, real thing in the afterlife. So better to shed that stuff. If you may, you may recall from our. Episode the three kinds of evil spirits. There was one who, for some reason, looks a little bit like our art director Matt. He was this guy Swedenborg encountered. He was hunched over. He was bent over this sticky stuff and could. And he was completely consumed by a desire for revenge. And this re- desire for revenge shaped what he was like. This defined his appearance, his nature. Stuff like that matters in the spirit. It doesn't show up physically beyond like stress hormones or something, but in the afterlife, this is what makes your substance. So don't hold on to it. It's not good. It's it's actually a way towards hellish misery to grab onto this rage and this non-forgiveness. So how do we get protected from a life that's full of that? Well, God has the protection. We can actually, like we were looking at this concept before with Jonathan Rose, we see that if we're sitting there holding on... To anger, blame, resentment, revenge, hatred. We are shielding ourselves from what is radiating out of God's love, which is heavenly peace and healing. That is something God is giving infinitely and freely to everyone who's interested in it, but until we let go of that stuff, it just perpetuates the pain and blocks the healing, because again, everything is contingent on freedom. Unless we turn to face that source we're never going to heal. Once we let go of that stuff, once we try to look at things from the divine perspective, then we take advantage of this universal heavenly peace and healing plan that God has for everyone. And with all this, there's always the caveat of, does that mean you just let people get away with stuff? That's not what it is. Real mercy can have an element, like we said, of holding people accountable, but it, and it can be a passionate one, but it's got to be from zeal, rather than from anger. And for the finer points of the distinction between those two, check out this short clip where we dove into that. We're not saying to just be passive and not to respond. We're saying to, in any situation, no matter how you act, reject the input of hell into the situation. Hell is something that is completely unuseful. So it's a a feeling of vengeance that does not lead to peace for you or correction for the other person, it's just a desire to get even. Or blame that does not look for any kind of reconciliation or to serve a purpose. That's hell. Hell is backwards and nothing. If we can get that out of the way, then We can actually make the moves, and they can be good moves. And if you're worried, like, wait, people have to be accountable. People can't just forget what they did. As we were alluding to before, there is a lot of dredging up past crimes if people won't admit them in the afterlife. We actually did a whole show called uh, about these unsolved crimes that Swedenborg saw. There's actually these dramatic scenes of a, someone who had killed someone else, and the person he killed said, hey, why'd you kill me? Which is like, yeah, we're, we're both back here, so do you want to talk about that? So nobody just gets away and doesn't have to deal with any of that stuff. So you can let that go and just think about letting forgiveness into any situation. And We're not even really going to talk, we're not even really talking to you about changing the action or what the action should be, we're talking about the fuel for that action. You can So you can see that you can either have forgiveness fueling something or non-forgiveness. That the forgiveness energy is whatever we're doing now, regardless of whether it's maybe it's even you're turning that person into the law. It's done from goodwill, big picture perspective, useful accountability. This non-forgiveness energy is doing that same thing, but just from resentment and blame, fractured perspective, and revenge. Either one of those can be fueling what looks like maybe the same action. Swedenborg says angels can look at an action of a person, and and that same action can appear, appear a thousand different ways from a thousand different people, all based on their motivation. So we're just trying to get your fuel straight, and then that... We'll make it so whatever action you're taking is helpful for you, for the person, for everyone. That's that's the freedom. So we're looking at forgiveness from God's perspective. We laid out that forgiveness is protecting us from doing these hellish things, from holding on to these things that make life worse for everyone. For us we don't have the same power to protect, but we're trying to align with the same mindset that God is offering that protection from. If you think about it, no matter what somebody does, no matter how heinous it is, God is still offering protection to that person. So there's, there's never a point when God says, nah, I, don't, I, don't, I can't even feel any sympathy for you because of what you did. We're trying to get as close to that as we possibly can. So it's really the forgiveness thing is about us trying to learn from God. And there, that leads us to correcting our... You remember our misconceptions from the beginning? Well, number four was about how forgiveness couldn't happen unless the other person apologizes, but if it's this internal thing between you and God and tapping into that energy source, we would actually offer this alternate explanation.
4: Misconception. Forgiveness can't happen unless the other person apologizes. Correction. Forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person's choices. Forgiveness is an internal state of mind, a process of liberation within oneself. It can happen no matter what the other person chooses to do. If you haven't forgiven, then even an apology won't take away the pain and resentment.
0: And that sort of highlights the the useless nature of the hell side of it, because if you're coming from this hellish motivation, yeah, even if the person apologizes, you're not happy. If they don't apologize, you're not happy. Heavenly side, you can have peace either way. So that's correction of misconception number four, and we're not going to correct misconception number five. We're just just kidding. Of course we're going to get to that. Because we can come to this state of forgiveness inside ourselves, no matter what others do or what happens outwardly, this is almost self-evident that forgiveness is not weakness. Here's what forgiveness really is.
4: Misconception. Forgiveness is weakness. Correction. Forgiveness is empowerment, liberation, healing, and peace. It opens a protective inner connection with God and heaven.
0: You might say, that's, I don't want to live like that. Just, this forgiving people, not wanting to pursue revenge and getting even. That, who would ever actually do that? That can't lead you anywhere. Good in life. Well, that's how the angels do it. Swedenborg actually has this fascinating passage from Apocalypse Explained 556, where he says, people who have depth, as heaven's angels do, do not wish to repay evil with evil. Instead, they pardon it, motivated by a heavenly love for the neighbor. They know that the Lord gives everyone who is devoted to goodness protection from those who are evil, and does so in proportion to how good they are. And they know that He would not be able to protect them if they were seething with hostility, hatred, and a desire for revenge in response to some evil that was being done to them, as those emotions drive protection away. We think we have to get back at people because we're protecting ourselves, and this is looking out for our own interests, but Swedenborg is making the shocking claim that actually trusting in God and not hating people that have done something wrong to us is a better self-protection plan. Because by connecting to God through this mindset of love, that is where you actually get protected from evil. That's the only real protection from evil. Diving into more evil might seem like it's going to help, but it's not going to. Again, it doesn't mean you don't be assertive and set boundaries, but it means in your heart, you don't feel like you need to hate this person. And Eva really found, Eva Core really found that this changed her life, this tool, and it can be something that even if it looks like the other side is not going to ever cooperate, or want to reconcile. This can be something for you. So we'll let her have the last word in this section. She says, what is my forgiveness? I like it. It is an act of self-healing, self-liberation, self-empowerment. All victims, all who are hurt, feel hopeless, feel helpless, feel powerless. I want everyone to remember that we cannot change what happened. That is the tragic part. But we can change how we relate to it. So we're trying to. we have got some situation where somebody's been hurt by somebody, this is a problem. And we want all, pe- all parties involved to come to the best place they can be. So this means the person who's perpetrated, we're hoping they recognize it, and that they then look for forgiveness and to change and amend. But the person who's been hurt, we want you to get into the best place you can. So that's why we're giving you these concepts of, hey, don't you want to get out? Don't you want to tap into this unlimited freedom and healing that God offers, and the strength of divine providence? That no matter what happens, at any time, it can be okay. And the sooner we trust God and and try to emulate that kind of love and forgiveness, the sooner we tap into the peace of knowing that, yeah, this is going to be all right.
1: That's powerful. And I'm also thinking about how it applies to ourselves, because sometimes even if you realize, okay, God forgave me for that, and maybe yeah. the other person is okay with it or something like that, but I still don't forgive myself. Like, I still beat up beat myself up about it. Yeah. Yeah, you and know, how do you
0: not get stuck in that? Because it's one thing to say I'm going to forgive this person, and that's its own whole act. But to say I forgive myself for what I did, there's people just as trapped in their guilt about what they've done as trapped in uh, uh, what from someone whatever. else did. That's right.
1: Yeah, it can be just, as, and I think hell can be just as active in that. Like, oh, beat yourself up. And that's right. Bringing it up, bringing up things yeah. from the past. How and, are you feeling about and, and this right now? Uh, it, it still hurts. So let me let me walk you through what 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 we learned. I mean, okay,
0: all great. the same uh, all the same principles apply. So he's like, God has eternal forgiveness for people who have done anything, so that it, including, you know, the forgiveness extends to you okay. and yourself, right? But then also, uh, just like we said, it's an internal state of mind. It doesn't have to involve anything but you and God. And as soon as you oh, let right. go of those resentments... Yeah,
1: that let go idea. That's right, the let go. Isn't that, 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 that's, that's such a different way of holding it, isn't it? Exactly. It's about yeah, right? letting it go, sending it away, and all that, Yeah. It is right.
0: important to apply that to the self as well, because that can be paralyzing. And it's just like Jesus was saying to the, the woman in adultery that like we are talking about, you know, go sin no more. we got to be able to say that to ourselves. I, I'm,
1: certain, I'm not going to touch anybody's artwork.
0: So there's something we can learn out of it. You know, Swedenborg says God doesn't allow anything bad to happen, but that good can come out of it.
1: Right. And it's important to have a positive focus. I mean, that's part of what I'm thinking uh, yeah. here, is that uh, a friend of mine says, you can't back out of hell. He said that to me years ago. And I pondered what he meant about that. And I think what he means is as long as you're still focused on hell and facing it, and you're trying to back up and move away from that, it doesn't really work because you're still focused on that. Where you face, Sweetmark says our spirit, you know, in the spiritual world, where you face is where all your attention, you know, your love and understanding is going to that thing. You got to actually turn around. Scripture keeps saying, turn and live or, yeah. you know, lay that aside and go in a different direction. You have, right. you have to turn away from hell and, and face the other way and, and head out that way. So at some
0: point, we've got to be able to say, I'm going to be willing to put this in the past. You know, not that I'm going to forget right. about it, but that instead of focusing on it and how am I relating to it and how is it now Obsessing and how Obsessing about yeah, it. And, yeah. It's like, all right, let's think about something new. You know, Let like, go. Let's, let's turn and move lift. on from here. And that that reminds me of uh, you had brought this up when we were we were first discussing this before the show. This idea of forgiveness itself as being this way out of hell, because as you put mm. it, you have to get to to God's perspective to do oh, it. Would you right. explain that a little bit?
1: Right, right. It it was striking me that uh, the only way, like when people do something really horrendous, like the kind yeah. of things that we've heard about in this show, uh, the only way to get to forgiveness is to really see a truth. I think, or the best way, yeah. you know, is to see a truth that that person was a victim of what they were doing to you. They were Hell was going through them. Yeah. They're actually a victim also of this thing. You have to kind of get a God's eye view to really, really let go of it and understand, oh, we're all in the same game. Hell's trying to play us, trying to get this and that to go. Over. And so only by getting up there. So it's actually spiritually good for us to get to that place. We yeah. see more truth from and there. It
0: seems like, you know, reading Swedenborg, I get a new conception of what evil even is, like, because you just... Mm. your general sense is somebody does something evil, it's like they're the source of that, they are... That's right. They brought that out of nowhere. That was their
1: idea, they planned this or something. That's or right. right. As if I planned to knock this whole thing over. Yeah, yeah. that's
0: right. So, uh, but it seems... Swedenborg is describing a, a world, a universe, in which heaven and hell are tr- both trying to come through us, and that, right, that the person who commits yeah. an act... If they're compl- they may be complicit in it and partially responsible, but there's this element of hell that's trying to get them to do it and pushing mm-hmm. into them. And that you, you had also brought up that that God, even when he thinks of hell, doesn't think of the people in hell, but of the the problems that that are hell and how that's he can right. free everyone. In and how there he can from free those. the
1: people in there from hell. That's right. Yeah. And he never ceases trying to do that. It's astonishing. And we may yeah.
0: not get to that perspective right away, but if we can eventually get to where. Yeah, I was a victim. This person was a victim of, we're all victims of hell. How do we eventually get out of it? We, we could all mm. potentially be on the, on the same Yeah,
1: you're like the other person was victimized by hell when they perpetrated that. Yeah. Then you're victimized by hell in your desire for revenge or dark feelings or what, you know, yeah. re, like they're getting you coming and going. But, yeah but if you can rise up above that they're that's trying to right.
0: turn us against each other but it's not going to happen i forgive you for this oh, no, i know that god already did i'm a How little late feel? to the party do you, do you feel much better, better. <laughs> so okay, just so that we great. we don't lose the medicine that we figured out today let's get to our wrap up If forgiving could bring joy to the life of Eva Moses' core after the horrors of Auschwitz, then forgiveness must hold a very potent and real power. Eva's story demonstrates that a person can forgive even while remembering the past, even while pursuing justice, and even while fully acknowledging
1: the pain she endured. Swedenborg learned that God sends out forgiveness constantly, and that forgiving means to protect us from being a slave to harmful compulsions. But we have to consent, cooperate, and commit. To open up to God's forgiveness, fully acknowledge what we did. Commit to ending that behavior and living a new way. And hang on to the wisdom gained through the experience. Humbly remembering the mess that sin has made in our lives is wisdom we can keep and use to strengthen ourselves and others with no need for hanging on to shame.
0: Forgiving someone who has hurt us is not weakness, it's empowerment and liberation. Forgiving connects us with the powerful healing energy of heaven, which can then fuel whatever steps we need to take next. To forgive a trespass against you, grieve and recover if you need to and turn away from the trap of hatred, resentment, and revenge, and hang on to the wisdom gained through the experience. Past wounds don't have to own or control us. And God can bring potent abilities, strength, and compassion out of any hardships that we've endured. So that's our show for today. Uh, It's been great working through this with you, and hopefully you've all enjoyed it as well. We're going to get to one of your questions right now, but first, a couple of thank yous. We want to thank everyone that's made it this far into our show and just say we couldn't do it without you. If you want to help us do better at what we do, first of all, like and subscribe if you haven't already. If you're subscribed, make sure you click the little bell to get notifications. We want you to be able to watch our stuff whenever you want. YouTube likes it, then they see people are watching, they spread it out to the world. Speaking of spreading out to the world, if you want to help us do that in a very fundamental way, consider joining the party on Patreon. Patreon is a site where you can support us for as little as a dollar an episode, but it makes you part of our community uh, of supporters. And in there, we try to give you a little kickback. So this week, we've got more of Chris's story when he went to Poland to learn from Eva Core. He talks a little more in depth about that experience, just a little way of us saying thanks to you for your support and making this whole show possible for everyone. And uh, another thanks, as another thanks, we're gonna honor you as our excellent audience by taking a look at one of your great questions right now. Okay, this is from, I I think you would say this, Big BigBagookie. And he or she says, regarding life reviews, do you ever think about experiencing your own? And do you wonder if you will be able to handle all the people you have affected? Even if it's good, it's so many! Now, terminology. Mm. So life review, I believe our friend Dr. Raymond Moody mm. made that up. This is describing an element that's common in near-death experiences. Made up the pe- term. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, right. it's made up the term. He right. didn't make up the experience. Yeah, girl, yeah that's girl, right. it's good on him for doing <laughs> yeah, it. That's right. But this is where you're crossing over to the other side and many, many people from all, all kinds of backgrounds mm. report seeing your whole life. You see it again and you see it fast and you see often additional information. How did the people around you feel? How do they did feel? Things. That's right. And that that actually right. ties really well into this episode because we're looking at um, you know nothing being lost and how do you resolve past things? So even if it's good though, how are you going to handle that much information at once?
1: Right, and it is uh, something that Swedenborg echoes with that idea of all the states of your life return. He says that yeah. a number of times. Right, and so uh, he may not have sort of a picture of a whole life review right you know there, but he talks a lot about. Uh, that this does happen to us after we die, that we go back yeah. over what happened with the other people that it happened with and so on. You know, And so there's very similar teachings in what Swedenborg says. Right. And so I do think about that a lot. And another thing I think about is just that it's an honest world. And yeah. a lot of what I think about is like it does kind of just keep me, I don't know, it's, it's hard to honest say. Honest world it's, meaning what? Uh, that your thoughts and feelings are transparent in that world. You yeah. don't get to lie anymore. You don't get to cover up. Yeah. You know, like your strategy may be, oh, if someone asks me about this, I'll just say, oh, oh I forgot or something, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, that doesn't work. You know, yeah. they can see that you remembered and you decided not to do it yeah. or something, you know. That's and, right. and so <laughs> I feel like I was just doing that the other day. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so um, I do think it could be pretty overwhelming but and and i heard about some exchange between two people uh where they had kind of you know there'd been some difficulty that went down between them yeah uh but the person said that you can not only see uh what was going on for you but you inwardly but you can see what the other person was going through inwardly and you both see that so it's kind of it's actually kind of a peaceful it's not as Painful or overwhelming as you as you might think. I have also thought though about people who just like like uh, people even more <laughs> famous than you and I are, which is hard to contemplate. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, imagine people who've just affected like hundreds of millions of people. Yeah, it just must be astonishing to go through. Yeah. To go through that, for either good or for ill, you know, to see what well, what and the yeah, impact any,
0: was. anybody's had more impact than you realize. Like things that you did. That's that, that right. Just Everybody. Like so how do Everybody. you how do you deal with that? Um, and I think that we are built to be able to absorb large quantities of information, particularly when in the spirit. Swedenborg does talk a lot about. The angelic language you can communicate more in a in what, what a minute right. than you could in half an hour that's here. Right. And that's a lot right. of people will in their near death experiences talk about I suddenly had a huge download of information called a download of information. That's right. And it just seems like none, nobody's ever phased by it. That that some, that we have it's like um, our our CPU or whatever. I, I'm going to show my ignorance here. Can handle a lot more megabyte bits than <laughs> we're taking in when we're in this world. The hardware is that's there. true.
1: And I've also thought just. From near death experience descriptions and also some things that Swedenborg says, that we're in kind of a state of peace. Mm. You know, so even though you're looking at this, it's like looking at a movie of your life and there's, ooh, you know, there's that episode, but then there's this, uh, but there's sort of a blanket of like there's nice music playing or something. You know what I mean? And you just learn. And I think the effect of it is that you just can't deny whatever it is, you know, you can't deny. He's kind of a denial buster. You know. Yeah. You, you can't deny that this is the way that it was. This is the way yeah. that I was with other people. I did have this flaw. I did do those good things. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of surprises in there. If like, I had no idea. That would be... I think that part might be cool. Yeah. To just realize, oh... Totally. oh you know, because we're kind of flying blind here. We don't really know the effect that we have on others. And, I think and it might be good that we don't, like, maybe it would go to our head or something like that.
0: Right? You know. Well, that that actually segues into what I was about to say, which is it's the central premise that that um, attaches weight to information. So if I'm shown a whole bunch of stuff in a row, like a bunch of facts, and you have to memorize these because they're going to be a test, that's much more whoa. But if mm-hmm. I'm just shown, like, here's fun and learn about each one. So I'm thinking in the life review, if it's not you know, if you realize there that, hey, it's actually God doing all of this, like, the, the, it's God's plan, yeah. it's God's power, God is the, the one with all the credit for everything, then it's like, it wouldn't, it would be much less overwhelming, because it's like, oh, we're just all seeing the Master at work here, and to me that right. seems more like, oh yeah, I can watch this, rather than like, what does this mean, how did I do what, you just relax, and actually the truth Set you free even in that That's Yeah, subset, that's a nice then.
1: thought. That's right, because God really is author of our life, even though we're sort of making decisions all the time and yeah. everything. Uh, he's kind of authoring it with us. And,
0: yeah. So a couple of thoughts about that and great question. Thanks nice so much question. for watching. Everybody, uh, thanks for coming and, and partaking in, in the, the hanging out. Thanks, Jonathan. See you guys soon.
1: Good fun, Curtis.
0: You made it. You did it. We're so glad that we had you with us. And hopefully these ideas that we discussed here about forgiveness and the mindset of unconditional love resonate with you throughout the week as you go out into your life. Because I'm thinking, if everybody in the world was thinking that way, thinking not about how do I get back at people, but at how do I see this from the perspective of love and forgiveness and understanding, how quickly would the world Get back into shape. So, hopefully, all of us can be a little part of that process of so going from being able to step outside of our own wounds and look at how do we help, even in every situation, how do we help.
4: Swedenborg in Life is Amy Aquarola, Morgan Beard, Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, Matthew Childs, Alexa Cole, John Connolly, Cara Dom, Chris Dunn, Stuart Farmer, Ben Keyes, Reed McArdle, Chelsea Odener. Jonathan Rose, Shiloh Silverman, and Shada Sullivan.